I want to read to you from the scriptures before we get started. It says this in uh, Luke chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Well, good morning to all my friends. I'm so glad you're here today for our picnic and our, our worship service. Um, I, I'm so glad to have all my friends here, but I also want to say hi to those that are watching today online. Hi, Catherine. Hi, um, oh, it's uh, uh, Kim. Hi. They're freaking out now. They think, they think I can see them, but I can't. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just messing around. Anyways, um, we love all our family here at Crosswinds, and uh, we're glad that you're here. If we haven't met you today, my name is Ken, and I was thinking this last week of how crazy, how broken and upside down our world appears today. You know, the title of my message is Glorious Things. If you've been forgiven of your sins, if you've accepted the gift of eternal life, by Jesus, it is a glorious thing. Even if this upside world, down world, doesn't get that. You know, outside here, you can't see the, the beautiful graphic Natasha created for me. It shows the kingdom of God right side up and a city representing the kingdom of man upside down. You know, Netflix has a very popular series called Stranger Things. And honestly, I don't like scary movies or TV shows because they scare me. I don't like to be scared. Jesus tells me, do not be afraid. And I take him seriously. And I avoid scary media most of the time because I'm scared enough sometimes. But what hooked me on watching this show was in the first season, there were kids living in a small town in Indiana. And their fictional lives reminded me a lot of me and my friends growing up in Indiana and, and Illinois. It was a time when the world seemed right and good to me. You know, sometimes in my life there were messy things or scary things. But like these kids, I had parents who loved me and who took care of me. I had the freedom to explore nature and climb trees and fish and play games with my friends and, and build forts. Things seemed good. They seem safe to me. But as I started to grow up, strange things started to happen in my life that showed me some of the darkness that is here and kind of disrupted my safe little world. You know, similarly, the tweens in Stranger Things are having fun playing in their safe little town in Indiana, and they discover another reality that is not safe. A reality that is completely toxic to life. They call it the upside down. It's, a, it's another reality that is underneath and mirrors the beautiful town they live in, but all the animals and the plants there are always seeking to kill you. The upside down world appears dark and rotting. Well, their world was full of sunshine and family and friends. And you know, as I studied and prayed about this text, I was reminded that our world, what we're in right now, is really more like the upside down in Stranger Things. Oh, it may appear to be beautiful, 
on a picnic day like today with all our friends here. But friends, there, there is darkness trying to kill and destroy us even right now. But unlike this Hollywood depiction of light and darkness, where darkness appears ugly and scary and you know that it's there, the darkness here is much more deceptive. It, it, it can masquerade itself as false, beautiful lights. You know, in our reality, the upside down and the right side up are kind of mushed and blended together. In, in, in this series, you know when to escape the ugly monsters, the Demogorgon, but here they could look like a priest. They could look like a pastor. They could look like a librarian or your parents or politicians or co-workers or friends. So friends, we often don't recognize the danger until it's too late. The Apostle Paul said this, for, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying there is the upside down exists right now, invisible to our eyes right here in the present. It is a reality of the ordinary reality we all live in today. It's not some strange thing as Hollywood would say it is. What I do like about that show, Stranger Things, is the ordinary people, the kids, a cop, and a mom are battling against this darkness together. It's not a bunch of superheroes. It's not a bunch of Marvel people that have extraordinary powers. It's just some nerdy kids and some dysfunctional adults who are the heroes in that story. And they win. They win. Paul says we all wrestle. The idea in the Greek language is of an athletic contest. So for believers, this wrestling is not a death match. It, it's a struggle that makes us stronger and pulls us together. You know, the kids, the ordinary kids, they became stronger. They, they became pulled together to survive and they beat down the, the dark reality. And even though they're victorious, at the end of every season, the Upside Down is always back in the next season with some new tricks, which is very much like the enemy we face, even though we don't see the monsters. Jesus has done a glorious thing in this season that we're living in. And if we believe that, it will eliminate the power of darkness over us forever. It'll, but we need to open our eyes and recognize that ordinary people like us all struggle in this upside-down reality. Everybody is affected by it. Even the ones that seem all cleaned up and perfect. Today, I want you to look at Jesus' word with me closely and see these stranger things that are affecting us and all just to see the glorious thing that he has given us to help us be effective and victorious in our struggle. Verse 10 says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on a Sabbath. You know, the tweens in the story had to go down into this strange upside-down reality to battle it. But instead, Jesus does something strange. He goes to church. He goes to the, the place where most people would equate that as a place of light, the church. But here, like I said, our strange reality is not divided. In every church, there is both light and darkness going on. There is a wrestling happening right there in the church. The church isn't a bad place because the darkness is there. It's also creeping in in your schools and in your workplaces and your family gatherings. And sometimes we get hurt and we feel overrun by it 
in the church because we mistakenly believe that the church is a safe place. You know, synagogue or the church was not a safe place for Jesus. The upside down met him there. In Luke 4, when he first preached to his hometown people, they tried to throw him off a cliff. I would say the darkness was there. Yeah, and later in the chapter, he, he goes to another synagogue and he's immediately confronted by a, a demonic man. The third time, he, he encounters dark, demonic, religious attitudes. See, Jesus recognized that the church is just another place for battle or wrestling. And if he battled there as a disciple, don't you think you will sometimes as well? The, one of the ways that our upside down defeats us is giving us the perception that church is the safest place. I pray longer and harder before I enter here than any other place I go. Because I know our enemy is a deceiver. I, I know he's going to try to trip me up. And one of his greatest deceptions to be is, is to like be kind of lazy thinking I'm in a safe place. Because the upside down is affecting everything. Here, in this place or in, in a church, the deception is people walk in expecting to be, everything to be right side up. That everyone that they see sitting around lives in a perfect world. And they're the only ones that feel like their lives are upside down. Friends, we're all living in the upside down right now. Look around, look at everybody. They might look pretty, but they're struggling with something. All of our families look more like Christmas vacation than Norman Rockwell. That's just a painting, it's a still. But when you get things moving around, it's messy. And, and, and this is why I encourage you to read the Bible every day so you won't be deceived believing that this reality is supposed to be perfect. The Bible's not a story of perfectly cleaned up people with no issues. The, the Bible is a story of a dysfunctional family called mankind trying to survive the upside down world they live in. Even those families that seem to exhibit great faith in God are highly dysfunctional. Read the first two books of the Bible and see the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 boys. That's one dysfunctional mess. None of them are superheroes with perfect families. They're just ordinary people who struggle in this upside down world that's hardly perfect. So if you ever come here thinking any of us are on the right side, we're on the upside, you're being deceived. You're being defeated by a belief in perfection here that does not exist here or anywhere else, any other church, any other place in this reality. The only way to win in this struggle is to see the reality of the upside down in your life and stand against it. Stand firm to battle against it. Jesus said this in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is the only perfect thing here. And the word is what divides these two kingdoms, helping us see what's upside down, help us not see the monsters that are trying to get us. Without his words, word in our lives, we are dead meat to the demodogs that just want to eat us alive. This life is not Hollywood, where the upside down is always obvious. Satan's main weapon against us is deception. The Bible calls him the father of lies. And the only way to stay on the upside is to stay rooted in the truth of God's word. Jesus prayed, sanctify them or cleanse them in the truth. Your word is truth. Beloved, this is not a place to come and, and I mean, I'm sorry, this is a place to come 
and get clean. Not a place of cleaned up perfect people. Contrary to popular opinion, the church is not a country club for super saints. It's a hospital for those who are sick from their sin and the sin of others affecting them. Jesus once said to a bunch of religious folks that they thought they were perfect being religious. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Jesus came to establish his church to heal sinners, even the religious ones, by the truth of the word of God. Going to church was Jesus' habit. Because God's word is how even perfect men like him stay clean in this upside down world. Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See, Jesus was glad to go to church to worship what he loved, his father, not because the church was perfect. This idea that church and church people are perfect is satanic. It's absolutely satanic. If you ever find a perfect church, I suggest you don't join it because then it won't be perfect anymore. If, if you think you can have perfection here while you're really living in an upside down reality, you're not thinking right. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, said, we're not worldlings. We may be designed for perfect, but friends, this ain't it. This ain't our home. As believers, we are citizens of heaven. We are aliens in this upside down, hostile environment. This is not our home. Jesus told his friend John, this message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The king, God's kingdom is the right side up. That's the right side up. Not this world or any of us. But he has invited us to walk in the light, to walk with him out of darkness. But here's a big problem. The average American Christian only attends church 25% of the time. And sometimes that's because they've been hurt by the church because of their false belief it was perfect. Or, or, or they find their perfection in things of the world instead of his word. Both are ways to be deceived by the upside down. You can't find perfection in a world that God says is upside down. His word says this creation, this whole creation is subjected to futility. It's broken. Sin has broken it. And it's now upside down. Well, some people say, well, well, you know, back in the day, back in my little hometown in Indiana, all things were right. No, no. I'm glad that you have good memories you were living in the upside down. Everything you knew was being defiled by it, even if you didn't. Perfection in this world is a satanic plot to trip us up. And I'm gonna make you guys all paranoid right now. Go to any restaurant today and place an order. It doesn't matter whether it's a cheeseburger or a salad. And the well-trained young server will say, oh, perfect. Do you want fries? Perfect. What would you like to drink? Perfect. The word perfect, friends, has replaced the word yes. I will take care of that. Friends, if this is new to you, don't worry. I didn't get the memo about it either. It must have been a new way that, that they figured out how to lie to customers without being committed to anything. Perfect. The truth is, there'll be not enough staff at that restaurant and it could take you an hour to get your burger. Perfect. You may get the wrong order because your server is really not paying attention. They're um, out playing with their phone instead. They just say perfect out of habit. Um, perfect. The price you pay will be higher than it should be because supplies are low and your money is worth less because of inflation. Perfect. Perfection is just something we say to customers to lull them into sleep into a fantasy so we can sell them stuff. 
I would, I would much rather have them say, we're understaffed, your burger's gonna take a long time. Or, or say, your burger's gonna be cold because I'll be out there texting with my boyfriend. It, it's gonna be more expensive than what you saw in the, man, man, the menu because my manager has put an extra service fee on your bill to cover his costs. But you still need to give me a perfect tip. I'll be acting perfect when I come and give you your check. Otherwise, I plan to ignore you this afternoon. If you're not laughing at this stuff, you're not getting out enough. This is reality. If you think I'm crazy, you're not paying attention. Go out today for this evening and, and go have dinner and you will see hear the word perfect used by all the people that are selling you something. Cleone, can you make me a t-shirt that says, I'm your pastor, not perfect. Cleone, where's Cleone? Cleone is the nicest person in our church. But she's not perfect. She's just South African. <laughs> South African people are really nice. They're not, they're very polite people, not like us Chicagoans. But if, 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 if at late in the evening, and I've seen this, I've hung out with some of them, they start speaking Afrikaans, and you don't understand what they're saying, and they're up to no good, I know it. <laughs> right, Jason? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm not paranoid. I, I'm just not fooled by polite demeanors and angelic faces. Aniska has an angelic face, but she's no angel. I love her, but she's not perfect. Even though South Africa, you know, it's really on the upside down. It's on the other side of the world. Anyways, I'm teasing. <laughs> but my friends, there is only one perfect guy, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And he's not at the church to show everybody how perfect he is. No. This is why it's here. It says in verse 11, And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years, and she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are freed from your disability. See, Jesus came to show compassion and love at church, to show love for others and not pretend perfection like some of us do. He was not distracted by himself. So he actually sees the hurting woman in the crowd whose life is not perfect. The same one everybody else in the church is ignoring. Sometimes we try to ignore people that we think are not perfect to try to keep up the illusion that our reality is perfect. Often we don't want to see the brokenness of others because it reminds us about what is broken in us. Another avoidance tactic is to condemn them because that makes us feel better. Now, Jesus saw clearly the effect that living in an upside-down world had had on her. And he loved her. He had compassion on her. You know, part of the reason she was ignored is simply because she was a woman. Her society was upside-down because she was female. She was not allowed to come in the sanctuary. Jesus must have met her before or after he taught. Jesus had to approach her because things were so upside down, women were not allowed to approach a rabbi. And, and most rabbis would not even speak to a woman. They thought it was fruitless. Women were not perfect like males, and they could not learn and study the scripture according to her upside down culture. She was also invisible socially because she had a disability. We don't know exactly what her disability was. It could have been that she was emotionally depressed. The language kind of gives that connotation. She could have had a birth defect or possibly she could have been injured or abused in some way. The text only tells us really that she could not stand up fully straight. But I also believe the text says whatever caused her condition was not her fault. Often when Jesus healed people, he said to them, your sins are forgiven. But he did not do that in the case of this woman. The woman's own sin had not caused her disability. But the people in the synagogue would blame her for her disability, thinking 
she had done something wrong. Yes, our personal sins do have consequences. And sometimes those consequences can disable us. But often what disables us is the sins of others that, that, that hit us in this toxic world that's upside down. Jesus does, does not blame her or anybody else for her disability. He is there to battle and destroy what's disabling her. Jesus is very direct about the problem. Today, you can't even say that someone's life is being disabled in some way. It's offensive because culturally, everyone has to be perfect just the way they are, which is simply not true in an upside-down world. Yes, everyone has value. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone should be honored and given dignity as God's image bearer. But if you're going to heal someone, you have to be honest about the problem. Jesus named the problem. He said, you are free of your disability. Jesus brought to everyone's attention that she was not perfect the way she was. I wonder if Jesus today would be canceled for openly saying that today. It would not be politically correct for her, him to call her condition a problem, a problem that disabled her. People would be offended, even though this woman knew it was a real problem that limited her to her life. Often in this upside down world, we expect those with disability in this life to be socially invisible. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable being reminded there is an upside down, so we, we don't look. We, we try to pretend like we're still living in a perfect world. We're like the server. You have physical limitations, perfect. You're depressed, perfect. You're confused about your gender, perfect. You're struggling with a mental illness, perfect. Not a problem, I have a pill for you. Nothing is wrong. Everything's just perfect. Jesus says, no, it's not. Things are not perfect here in the upside down. Doesn't somebody who's suffering need to know that you understand the problem that they're going through? Honesty about a problem helps us find the solution. Society is saying, perfect, when something is causing somebody a lot of pain. Is that compassion? We use our, our language to hide from the reality of problems. <clears throat> perfect. It's not a problem, it's a choice. Perfect. It's just a little lifestyle choice. Perfect. It's just an identity that you can be proud of. Let's just... Try to forget that parts of your life are being disabled in some way. Just continue to do your own thing in your perfect little bubble. Jesus says the opposite. He says, it's not perfect. There's a noose around your neck that's limiting your life and killing you. Jesus speaks the truth. It's not perfect here in the upside down. Isaiah the prophet said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Friends, this woman had a disabling spirit for 18 years, holding her down. Jeez, oh, come on, Jesus, just leave her alone. Just let her identify with where she's at. It's okay. You can identify whatever you want. You can, you can be a furry little animal. That'll make her feel better. But here's the problem. In this upside down, stranger things world. In the upside down, the stranger things, there are vines that come and they twist around your feet and they trap you in the toxicity and in the death 
And, and Jesus is saying here in this text that there are invisible spiritual forces that can oppress you and actually hold you down and, and restrain you and, and limit your life. And that's not so perfect. These vines are invisible, but their grip is just as real as the ones in Stranger Things. The Bible says we can get stuck in them by choosing certain behaviors that seem perfectly fine to us. There's nothing going wrong. These oppressive bonds can be formed in many different ways, according to the Bible. One is by not pow processing powerful emotions like anger or, or living a life underneath someone's very toxic anger and, and not having the opportunity, maybe because you're too young to, to process your own anger correctly. The Bible says this, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. If we do not le learn to deal and, and process our powerful emotions like anger, it can create a foothold, something holding our foot, a stronghold that disables things in our lives. Maybe our emotional ability to have intimacy. Frozen anger can disable us with depression and anxiety. The Bible says being involved in sexual practices that are not according to God's design can create bonds that will continually oppress us in our life says this, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Free, flee from sexual immorality. Friends, sex is not casual. You may be exercising caution against unwanted pregnancy or disease. Sex is a powerful emotional Thing. And spiritually, bonds can be created that can unite us to unseen forces that can oppress us and disable our lives. False religious practices are something that hold us down in bondage. The Bible says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not Submit again to a yoke of slavery, Galatians 5.1. Devoting yourself to false religious practices or ideas like karma, witchcraft, fortune-telling, astrology, and legalistic law-based religions, even some that say they're Christians, create bonds, bonds that hold us in the upside down. They, they hold us down. You, you may think, I'm just curious about these things. Some religious practices, occult practices, are mixed with violence and, and, and drugs and sexual immorality that can create deep and dangerous bonds. I, I once pastored a woman who was hunched over her whole life, and when I talked to her, I found in her childhood, her parents were involved in all kinds of occultic activity. We don't understand these things, but they're real. Friends, don't play. They're not casual. Many in our modern word, world do not want to recognize that their spiritual forces are at least part of what is disabling our lives. You're, it can't be like the medical professions. Oh, you have a bent spine? Perfect. Oh, you have some bad relationships? Perfect. Oh, you were abused sexually? Perfect. You did some weird religious practice involving sex and drugs? Perfect. Just take this pill. That'll fix it. Have this surgery and all will be perfect. You need not turn from what is binding you. In the upside down, ignoring and medicating is the reality, not fixing problems. Friends, we have an enemy who's out to destroy us and he uses a lot of ordinary things that we think are perfectly fine to take us down. Now, please don't hear that I believe that every mental illness or medical problem is just simply a spiritual problem. Legs become broken, organs fail, genetic defects happen, chemical imbalances happen to our brains, and those things do need medical attention. But the source of all the effects caused by the upside down is spiritual. It's man's falling into sin. And if the main source of the problem is spiritual, then don't ignore the spiritual component 
to what may be holding you down, what may be disabling your life. How did Jesus take away this woman's, woman's disability? He restored God's design, his original design for her life. As he laid his hands on her, immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Before he laid his hands on her, he saw here. He saw her. He actually saw her. And he, he, by seeing her, he, he counted her as significant. He did not judge or blame her for the problem. He accepted her and he called her to come to him. He accepted her. He, by doing this, he, he, he healed the emotional side of her. He, he, he healed her from maybe all the bitterness and anxiety that had been caused by being rejected in this upside-down world. Jesus was honest with her about the problem, not making the problem her identity. The real source of the problem wasn't her. Instead, he makes her aware of the source of the problem, a disabling spirit, not blaming her, took away all of her shame that others and herself had placed upon her. Jesus was probably the first one to ever tell the truth that she was not the problem. This released her from false religious superstitious practices that had put her in this spiritual bondage. Jesus lays his hands on her. In a world where rabbis would not even speak to her, this rabbi touched her and compassionately spoke to her. After a, a lifetime of thinking she was somehow corrupt for being a woman and being disabled, Jesus actually healed her by touching her, restoring her value in this upside-down world that had taken that away. Touching her was not necessary for Jesus to heal her physically. Jesus had healed many without touching them. Some weren't even in the same room with him. But for this woman, touch was necessary for her to be whole again. The, the laying on of his hands proved that she was worthy to be redeemed. Then Jesus declared her freedom from what had disabled her. And I really love what God's word says next. He laid his hands and immediately she was made straight. Jesus did not just fix her. Medical profession fixes us. Jesus remade her. He had formed her in her mother's womb and now he remade her. She was made by God, but the upside down had corrupted her. Jesus restored her to his original design for her. She was made upright emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. And we know that because of what she did next. She, she glorified God, which was God's purpose for making us in the first place. We are made to reflect his image and his glory because we are made in his image. Jesus totally restored her, but not yet perfectly complete yet because she still resided in an upside down world. Verse 14 says, but the ruler of the synagogue was indignant. He was angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. Not on this Sabbath day. See, immediately she was confronted by false religion again. Someone was trying to put her into bondage with their legalism. It was by a man who seemed to have all the power in this upside down world. He was the ruler of the synagogue, the main guy everybody thought was perfect. He was entrusted by the elders to care for the ministry and run the whole show. And because of that, he, he thought this upside down kingdom was his own little kingdom. And he condemned God for his mercy to one of his creatures, for his creature for giving mercy to one of his creatures. And by that, he condemned her as well. That's really upside down, isn't it? That's really messed up. Friends, as church leaders, we're, we're not perfect. The upside down corrupts us as well. He did not condemn the healing directly. 
he condemned the timing in which Jesus did it. But he neglected to celebrate the poor woman's healing and that she was glorifying God. It is right to attempt to hold to God's law, but his attitude was upside down. He showed no concern for the woman. He just cared about having his orderly, perfect little church. Jesus attempts to restore him and his congregation as well because they are disabled by the upside. And he tries to do that with real truth, the freeing word of God. And then Jesus answered him, you hypocrite. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? Drawing water and tying a knot was considered by the Hebrews work. And so it could not be done on the Sabbath because work was forbidden. But rabbis did allow it in the case of having compassion on one's livestock. An animal could be untied and led to water for restoration as long as it didn't do work carrying a burden. Jesus calls him and the other synagogue members actors or hypocrites. They pretend to care about people with religious things, with a religion that actually taught what was of first importance was to love God, to love others, and to love themselves. But the ruler revealed he did not care a lick about this woman's 18 years of suffering. He was more concerned with his perfect little religious order than he was with her. You know, friends, as a layperson, I, I, I once led a woman to Christ in a parking lot like this after church. It was, friends, her spiritual birthday. But then I was rebuked by many in that church for doing so because I was not the pastor. The woman had gone to the pastor, but he had another engagement and he could not see her. And he said to her she could come back next week to meet with them. Sally was my friend. She was in my Bible study. And I had seen how burdened she was that day, how much the Holy Spirit was giving her conviction. And, and, and she explained to me that she had to come back next week. I said, Sally, you can do that. But in this upside down world, you could get in an accident in your car and you could die on your way home. And then where would you be? Let Jesus remove your sin now so it will not be a burden to you for all eternity. And then I prayed with her to receive his forgiveness and the gift of everlasting life. Beloved, when someone is ready, don't wait to have them talk to me, your pastor. Jesus lives in you. Declare their forgiveness. Celebrate it with them. In Jesus' name, unburden them. Take the noose off their neck. That is compassion. Yes, the church needs to have order so it doesn't have chaos, but never let that replace mercy when it is needed. God's word says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power in its working, James 5, 16. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, friends, you've been turned upright. You've been made righteous. Your prayers and your words are just as powerful as mine. Maybe even more effective because you are close and have a relationship with them. Jesus has authorized you to unburden them. You may be thinking, what if I do something wrong? Friends, your thinking is upside down, like the ruler in this story. Jesus did not have a formula to heal people. He just did the thing each person needed because they loved him and he loved them. If you do the same, you can't fail. You're not doing the work of their salvation. Jesus is. And Jesus examines this ruler's thinking with the truth. And ought not this woman, declared a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus is turning everything right side up again. It's not about formality. It's about your love for others, which is love for God. And if you care more 
about your investment in a donkey, your transportation, than a woman that I made in my image, you're upside down. Today, if your religion allows you to wash your car on a Sunday and do a barbecue with your family and, and, and protect all your investments, do your investments on your computer at night, but your legalities does not let you unburden another image bearer that needs help, you're upside down. You, you missed the point of the Sabbath. Sabbath is about rest, restoring what God has made us, his creation. Jesus is saying, she chose me like Abraham in faith. And you call me out of order for doing this? You call me out of order? You're out of order. Those who follow you are out of order. You're all out of order. This whole religion is out of order. When Jesus was, was criticized by religious people for hanging out with those that they considered sinful, he responded with Hosea 6.6, 6, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, the religious believed that their sacrifices made them perfect. But how can that be in a corrupt and upside-down world? How can they be, be made upright? Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Religious practice does not free us and perfect us. It's God's mercy that does. And that is why Jesus went to church of the day, to battle the upside down by showing mercy to an oppressed woman. Do you attend church for religious duty to learn about his mercy for you? Or do you come to church to learn about his mercy for you and to how to have mercy towards others? Today, friends, there are people right here next to you that need his mercy. And they also need your mercy because this world is upside down. They came here burdened with all kinds of things that bind them. They may look perfect. They may have nice clothes. They may drive a nice car, but it's a deception. There are some that you see every day that are dying in the toxic, toxicity of this world. Will you let Jesus work in you to loosen the noose from around their neck and set them free? Today, Maybe you need to admit that you have a noose on too. Let Jesus and his servants help you be set free today. Sometimes your people are just saying, I'm good, I'm good, I'm perfect, I don't need any prayer. Really? Can that be true? Living in this upside down world, can that really be true? Because for me, there's things trying to buy me and kill me here. And you're saying to me, you're just fine. I'm okay. I'm perfect. Perfect. Je Jesus told us we're not fine. He said that the first time, his opening sermon in the first synagogue, he said, God has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's us. And recovery to the sight of the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. By God's mercy, Jesus came to free all of us who are oppressed by living in this upside-down reality. He became the blood sacrifice for our sins. He showed us mercy. He took our penalty, even though he was innocent. His love is what turns this upside-down world right again. He sacrificed himself in the most disgraceful way, the most painful way, for all of our sin. His death was not perfect with friends and family around, laying in a soft bed. The people around him, because they were in the upside down, spit upon his face. They cast it, curses upon him. But then Jesus turns things to the right side up with his mercy. He prayed as he was dying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing because they live in the upside down. Let's make them right. 
with your kindness. I'll take their punishment. And three days later, Jesus walked out of the grave alive again. He proved that the upside down could be defeated, that even death could not hold him. He killed our sin with his upright body being slain on the cross. And he promised to those like us who will accept his words and obey them that they will have forgiveness of their sins and they will gain the gift of everlasting life. Today, will you obey his words like the woman did? Woman, man, you are freed of your disability. He has all authority and all power to put your spine back together. If this woman had not believed him and obeyed his word and tried to lift her head in faith, she would have stayed bound in the upside down, even though her back was made whole. Today, will you, by faith, believe that he can make you whole again by his love? Turn to him and live. Do not stay bent over in shame by the shame of the things done to you in this upside down world or what you have done to yourself. His sacrifice has made you upright. Your shame is gone. Your sins are gone. Be free by his love and mercy today. Stop believing the lies from the upside down that are trying to bind you down with shame. And he, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. But notice, friends, who was put to shame not you. Jesus doesn't come to put you to shame. He comes to put your adversaries to shame. Those that live under the rule of the upside down. The rule of the upside down is strike hard, strike fast, no mercy. Oh wait, that's another Netflix show. But it fits. It fits what the, the philosophy of the upside down is. That day, most in that synagogue saw through the lies. And they were set right. Because the text says, all the people rejoiced. They rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by God's mercy. Today, receive this glorious thing that Jesus has done for you by allowing him to forgive your sin and to remove your shame. You will walk upright in the truth of what Jesus said. If the Son sets you free, friends, you will be free indeed. Let us pray. Father, I praise you. I praise you, Lord, for your kindness. I praise you for your mercy. Oh, Lord, you desire mercy, not sacrifice. You desire our love, our devotion to you, and you have a love and a devotion to us. Father, if there's anybody here today that has been bound by shame, of the things they've done or the things that have been done to him to them father today may they repent may they come to you like this woman did may they come to you and be restored oh oh jesus do a mighty work of restoration convict us that things are not right convict us of our sin turn us from it turn us to you and may we be turned right side up again we praise you jesus you are worthy of all praise and honor because you do glorious things. And we love you. Amen.